with it. It's the second time I got to sing that song because I was here in the early service and you cannot sing that song too much. I love that song. I would ask you, if you would, this morning to turn in your Bibles to Romans 12. I know that's Romans is kind of pastor's book right now, but I'm going to jump in and take some myself. Uh, it's full of, full of great wisdom, great teaching. I wanted to uh, start by reflecting real briefly on the year that we've gone through so far, the year 2020. It's, it's been a real gem. Uh, we've, yeah, we've, we've seen Australian wildfires going rampant. We've seen the, the locusts swarm uh, in East Asia. You know, that's still, uh, that's still a major problem in, in East, Northeast, Asia, uh, Northeast Africa and, and Southwest Asia. Um, it's, it's destroying farms, destroying ecosystems. Uh, it's, it's actually covering a, it's impacting a, a area of land nearly the size of the United States. Like people don't realize how much of a problem that locust swarm is. Obviously, we, we're dealing with the, the pandemic, the, the after effects, the, the continuing effects. There are people who are, are, are suffering the, the pain of the, the illness itself, and then obviously the, the smaller ramifications, the economic situation. Here in America, we're facing uh, political, social, even racial divides, some of, them, some of those as, as bad as we've ever seen in this country. You know, it's, it, has been a, it has been a difficult year so far. We're halfway through. If I were to point to the verse today and just read you the first half, Romans 12, 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil. We don't have to look very far. Indeed, we don't have to think very hard to imagine the evil overcoming ourselves or our country, or our world. But if we look at the rest of the verse, it says, but overcome evil with good. Well, great, that solves it. All we have to do is turn around and be good, and we solve the world's ills. Of course, that's not not what Paul's saying. It's an impossible hurdle to to look at a world full of evil and say, I'm going to be good, I'll best you. That's, that's not what Paul is calling us to do. It, it, it's, it's impossible on our own. We understand that. But it is not impossible for God to work through us, to give us the strength to be victorious over the evil that we come in contact with individually. And of course, we see in the Bible it is not impossible for God, the judge of the world, the, the righteous, right judge of the world, to be victorious over all of the evil of the world. We know that's going to happen in the end. But, and, and, and that's great hope. That's great promise that gives us the opportunity to stay strong today. We know that. But today we're facing a lot of evil. Today we're, we're confronted with hardship and struggle and evil. And, and we're, we're to deal with that today. That's what Paul says. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we do that? How do we, how do we accomplish 
overcoming evil with good as mere individuals living in a super, super evil world. We'll look at the whole chapter here of Romans 12. So go back to Romans 12.1. It starts with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, if you study the Bible at all, whenever you see the word therefore, you're supposed to look back and see what it's there for. Um, the, the passage here is actually referring to the entire first 11 chapters of the book. It's, it's a summation of the first 11 chapters of the book. So let's look back at Romans. No, let's not. That's going to take too long. If we were to quickly summarize the first 11 chapters of Romans, it, it's talking about what, what do we refer to in the first 11 chapters all the time. It's the Romans road. The, the gospel, the, the grace of God, the, the, the soul-transforming, ever-powerful grace of God. How awesome that is. The mercy of God, the forgiveness that he offers us. That's what the first 11 chapters is. So with that in mind, based on the grace of God, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that the, by the testing, excuse me, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first step we have in confronting the evil and overcoming the evil is righteous living. Living righteous. Letting, letting our lives be taken over by God. The, verse 1 or 2 talks about a, a, a living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? Obviously we know what an Old Testament sacrifice is. It's giving of a belonging, uh, specifically a, a, either a, a, a lamb uh, or a grain offering. There's many different offerings. They're all called sacrifices. So we understand what a sacrifice is. And, and technically, I mean, giving in the offering plate. That's a, that's a sacrifice that we give to God. But what is a living sacrifice? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. We see, we see the Hollywood idea of, of a, a human sacrifice, or, or even like the, the ancient Aztec, we have a picture of human sacrifice. That, of, that is not what we're talking about, of course. A living sacrifice, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. It means uh, letting our lives no longer be dedicated to ourselves, no longer be about me, but about God. And it, and it shows in the next verse how we can do that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we have our mind comes into this world, gets filled with this world, sees the world, follows the world, let our mind be transformed, renewed in the image of Christ and transformed so that we might discern the will of God, so that we might do what is good and acceptable and perfect. So tra- changing our minds, training our mind to pursue what the will of God is. That's what, we, that's what it is to be a living sacrifice. We're to, to give up our own ambitions and pursue God's will in our life. Find out what God wants and go for it. Then verse 3, it talks about, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, 
So if confronting the evil in this world is the idea of, of righteous living and, and doing right to those around us, being, doing what God wants us to do, we have to take a step back and, and almost give up our pride, give up what we think is right to reflect Christ. We have to, to take a step back of what we think is righteousness, what we think is good, and instead speak God's truth humbly and lovingly to those around us. As an example, I, I love America. I think America is great. I think, I think the, the foundation on which our, our country was founded is, is awesome. The idea of liberty for all, the idea of equality of, of humans and, and our country is, of course, not perfect, but I think the founding principles are, are good and solid and should be upheld. And I, I, I love celebrating this country. Yesterday, I, we celebrated the 4th of July. We had uh, Frankfurters and Bratwurst, which I guess are German. But we, had, we shot off fireworks, which I suppose are Chinese. But we, we, celebrate, our, we celebrate our nation. We love our nation. And... and and it's something that we, we feel oftentimes we feel is just a good thing to do. Um, but I can't stand it when I see people sometimes posting something that I think is anti-American on Facebook. And, and, and I, I understand that sometimes you feel like you can change the world with a Facebook post, right? You, you just think that you can, you can fix this. We have to be careful with that. That's, a, that's a very often a trap that Satan lays for us to, to, to be an apologist for America, but to neglect our responsibility before Christ to show people love. We're called to live righteously, but how often do our Facebook comment section battles reflect someone that does not reflect Christ? They don't show love. They show, they show anger and angst and animosity and, and frustration. We're called to love people, and, and it's so easy on social media to, to think of, of what's right in our mind and to neglect, to neglect what is God calls us to. When we see people who, who disagree with us or who, who act different than us or look different than us, our first priority should be to set aside our agendas and to make sure that they see Jesus in us. We have the opportunity to reflect Christ and that's, that's such an awesome thing. But we have to set aside our pride. It says, I'm going to read it one more time. Not to think of yourself more highly, himself, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned Take a step back and, and judge the words that we say, the, the actions that we have, and make sure they reflect Christ. And, and showing Christ is so much easier to do, so much better done when we do it as a group. That's what Paul goes on to say here in verse 4. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We are, we're not designed 
to overcome evil by ourselves. That's not to say that God can't work through us individually. But God created the church as an opportunity for us to stand shoulder to shoulder with other people who are also trying to reflect Christ, who are also trying to show the love of Christ. And we're all different, and our difference makes us stronger. When we stand together as people who want to do the will of God, we can, we can be stronger together. And Paul gives us, gives us a description of our differences. He calls them gifts. In verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, like Paul and John, we have their prophecies, in proportion to our faith, faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We have such an opportunity to stand with other believers to accomplish great good in this world. And, and we can't do all, all these things that Paul says. We can't do them by ourselves. We can't, we can't be a, a great leader and an exhorter and a, a giver and all these other things. We don't have the time. We don't have the energy. We don't have the, none of us have the brain capacity for all of those different things. We can try, but we'll, we'll come up short. We each have a gift given to us by God to accomplish his purpose. We find out what that is and stand alongside other people who have those other gifts, who, who we can strengthen each other. It's just like a marriage with, with my wife's incredible organization skill. And my, uh, this analogy isn't going to work. I don't bring anything to the table. But we, <laughs> we, we, people work better as a team. We work better as a group of people accomplishing the same purpose. We can accomplish a great deal. And, and it makes me worry when I hear people say, I believe in God, I just don't believe in the church. You know, if there was some, if there was some pain in their past or some, some hurt that a church caused and they ever since then have, have hated the church or, or been resentful towards the church, God's purpose is, is accomplished primarily through his church today, through the individuals in his church standing together. And it, it breaks my heart when people give up that spiritual power that is available to them. But when we stand together, we can do an incredible amount, a great amount of good. Another way we can overcome evil with good is through true, genuine love towards one another. That's what he says in verse 9. He says, let love be gen genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We have a rule in our house. Uh, we, we're not allowed to say the word hate. In fact, I might get in trouble later on when, when some boys talk to me about this. We're not allowed to say the word hate. It, it, just, it was getting used too much, so we've made a rule. Our house, not allowed to use the word hate, not allowed to talk about dinner food like that, not allowed to talk about our siblings like that. Just can't. But, but Paul, Paul says, you know, hate, hate becomes essential as an opposite of love. If you love someone, if you truly want the best for someone, love that person, then you will hate the evil that is keeping them from that good. Right? 
I mean, that's self-evident. You can't say that I love the Jews, the people of God, and not hate what the Nazis did to them. There, there is evil, and, and when you see that evil working against the love of God, you have to stand against that. Paul uses the word abhor. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. We, we are called to love people in a way that reflects Christ's love. And he gives us again, he gives us another list in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Remember, this is still loving other people by serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, in their hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is how we love other people. This, this idea of serving and rejoicing and loving and being patient and praying with, seeking out the needs. This is how we genuinely show love and, and caring enough, caring enough about a person to, to find out what their situation is, to, to genuinely love. You have to listen and learn and understand who somebody is to know their struggles and their needs and their desires. Half of these things you cannot do at all without knowing a person, without coming to understand who they are and their struggles. So that's what, that's what we're called to, is to love people genuinely, to deeply get to know them, and that reflects the love of Christ to them. But it's also directing that love towards people who are not always easy to love. We, we all know people that aren't easy to love, right? Not, not that I want to list anybody in particular. But, but when we see people, it's easy to say, I'm just going to stay away from that person. I'll love you know, people that love me back. But we're, we're called to love every person that we can. Verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. We have so much joy so much automatic response when we find somebody that's just, just like us and we like them and that person and, and, and we're naturally attracted to them. But there are people who are in this world who desperately need the love of God and they're not, they're not likable, they're not lovable, they're, not, they're prickly, whatever it is. We have, to, we have to set aside the effort that we need even when they, they respond snappishly. We, we still love them. We still reach out to them. Even when, even when it's hard to love someone. The, the example they give, it's easy to rejoice with someone who's rejoicing. It's so much more difficult to put the effort into coming along somebody who's mourning and mourn alongside them. It's, it's, and I'm sure it's easier for some people. It's very difficult for me 
to, to mourn alongside with somebody. That's, that's such a hard thing to do, but that's what we're called to do as Christians. And then I love the next part. It talks about uh, do, not, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Calling people lowly, it's not really a politically correct thing, but they didn't have political correctness in Paul's time. Associating with the lowly. What does that mean? Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly. Paul is saying, you know, we have, we have people around us that are different than us. And it's our natural, it's our instinctive thing to say, you know, I'm here, those people are different, so they're lesser. They're, the, these people are, are not the same as me. I am better than them. Like, it's a natural human thing to do. And we cannot do that. We cannot show the love of God to a person who, who can see haughtiness in our spirit while we're trying to do it. Who can see... That, that just makes a person ungenuine. We have to humble ourselves, step back and realize we're nothing. We're in ourselves. We aren't great, good people. We aren't masterful in, 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 in who we are. We're only good because God made us that way. Because Christ, Christ's payment on our behalf cleared our slate. The Bible says our righteousness, our, our own efforts, filthy rags, nothing. God is what makes us good. God is who makes us have any goodness in us. When we see people who are struggling or who, 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 who are weak or who, who have pains that we can't imagine and we try not to imagine, we have to take a step back and realize we're no better than them. We need to love them like Christ loves them. We need to see them as Christ sees them, as a soul that needs saving, as a heart that needs healing or tenderness, or care, or just somebody to talk to. That's what we're called to do, to stand together, to love people, to reach out with the love of Christ. We're called to love others, but we're not called to to fix others. We're not called to make our love change them. We're called simply to love. We cannot... We're not responsible for them responding to our love. There's a lot of times where our love goes un, unreceived, unreciprocated. It's not recognized, it's not returned. People, people who we love don't love us back. That's okay. That's, that's not what we're called. We're not called to fix people's hearts. We're called to just love them and let them see Christ through us. Look at verse 18. It says, uh, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes it doesn't depend on you. You can try to be peaceful and somebody is not peaceful back. It, it, that's beyond your control. You're not called to make them peaceful. We're called to act peacefully, to act lovingly, to, to reach out. We're called to be the ones who reflect the love of Christ. We don't have to make other people that way. And, and I think the greatest example... I don't want to say a failure. The greatest example of, of not changing people with a perfect love is Christ. When he was in the Passion Week, when he was loving people, we see, we see Jesus giving a perfect love. We see Peter denying him. 
We see Judas betraying him. We see Pharisees and religious leaders seeking to kill him. We see the thief on the cross mocking him. Jesus loved these people with a perfect love, and they acted horribly towards him. But what did Jesus do? He continued to love. He continued to to do what was right. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And, and, And his love, his forgiveness changed people, some people. Peter repented and and had an awesome ministry. Judas did not repent. Let the guilt overcome him and and went out and did what he did. The Pharisees still sought to undo what Jesus did, but not all of them. Nicodemus worked to accomplish the work of Christ continually and to honor him in death and to celebrate his resurrection. The thief on the cross still mocked him, but the other thief recognized the love of Christ, recognized that he was being crucified unjustly, and repented. Uh, We can't change people with our love. All we can do is continue to love them, even when they persecute us, even when they say hurtful things, even when they're hard to love. We continue to love them and show them what it is to be Christ-like. Show them the love of Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's what we, that's all we can do. But it's what we're called to do. To love unconditionally, to show the love of Christ, to live righteously, to, to overcome evil with our good. Doesn't mean fixing people. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean making people right again. But goodness can overcome evil in the sense that, that we are not overcome with evil. We are, if, if evil comes at us and we respond with evil, then we are overcome with evil. If evil comes at us and we respond with the goodness of God, then we have overcome that evil. We have not succumbed to that succumbed. We have not given in to that evil. That's, that's what we are called to do, is to to reflect Christ in the way that we live. And following the example of Christ, guys, he overcame the greatest evil in us. He did the miraculous work of of fixing us in his death on the cross. With his good sacrifice, with his, the greatest good of all time, he did more overcoming of evil than we can ever imagine in us. Without Christ, we, we, we are immersed in evil. We can do no good thing. But with the death of Christ, with the sacrifice of Christ, it's changed. We can't do it on our own. Psalm 49 says, Psalm 49, 7 and 8. Give me a second here. Psalm 49, 7 and 8 says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. The the debt that we owe from the sin that is in our heart is more than we can ever pay. We can't pay it for other people. We can't pay it for ourselves. Christ, the only one who could pay that debt, and he did that. The greatest good that we can ever do. 
overcome the greatest amount of evil that we could never imagine. He justified us. That means legally he cleared the slate, removed the, the evil record on our behalf. He sanctified us. That means he gives us the strength to contend with evil, to overcome evil with good, to, to grow in him. He put us on an equal standing before God with Christ, his own son. That's, that's the good that Jesus did. That's the good that should give us the opportunity and motivate us to go forward and share that good with those people around us. If you are here and you have not made a conscious decision to accept the good gift of Christ, the, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, if you haven't accepted that, that soul-changing power that he offers, I would, I would beg of you to, to look at what it, look at what it impacts, the, the, the cross, the payment that he made. Understand the depth of what that means. If you are here and, and you have accepted that gift, if you are a recipient of the greatest good that has ever been, man, turn that around and show that to people. We have been forgiven so much. Let us reflect that love to the people around us. Let us be a, a, a beacon shining on a hill of, of what it is to love like Christ. What it is to care, to, to reach out and touch a hurting world so we can overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for the writing of Paul, the encouragement that he gives to each one of us. Lord, we know that you are an example that we should seek to emulate every day. Lord, give us the strength, give us the wisdom, give us the, the, the patience, the ability to self-reflect, to set aside our pride, and to, to come before you and, and humbly seek your will, and humbly reach out to those who need your love. Give us that burden. Give us that opportunity, Lord, to love others 